morning. Oh, thank you so much. You may be seated. So why don't we just start off with a kick in the butt? <laughs> why wait, right? <laughs> no, it's, it is great to be with you. Um, that does trigger something. I mean, uh, the scripture that Willie shared and exhorted out of Corinthians about the glory that passes away. And uh, it was in the context of Moses and and the glory on Sinai, the glory of the temple, the you know the glory that that word that we would weave and those examples that we build our understanding of glory around in light of the glory that came in the new covenant in the new testament that glory has passed away amen and then it talks about this glory that remains in this this area of righteousness and that was the scripture part of the reason I'm in New Zealand I got invited to be part of the national leadership tour and it was either our second or third stop. We came into a place, and my role is to bring a prophetic word. That's why I'm the token prophet on the what some would call the antique show, uh, the traveling antique show. That was, and it's a little cold, but anyway, so it's a lot of fun. It's been a great, great time together with some great leaders that, you know, really are are blessed to lead this movement, and it's an honor to be with them. But in this one place. And again, can't remember. I don't. That's that's one thing too. Also, forgive me with names. That uh, I just when I'm in a place and I'm in a the whole prophetic thing, I, I'm listening. And I, I had this verified with my a, a doctor Marquis who's mapped my brain literally. And uh, it's interesting. He said when you're when you're listening, you're actually feeling. I said, yeah, that's true. That there's a, a a process. It's like it bypasses or maybe just complements short-term memory, but it's actually a different kind of a thing. And when you're in that prophetic thing, you're hearing, but you're hearing. You're listening, but you're hearing, and you're trying to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to a person, a place. And so so in that, that's my role. And the passage of Scripture that Pastor Will opened up with was the Scripture that he gave me for that place. And it, it, he said, it, with that, it carries an anointing for new. So I really believe that there is an anointing for new for Dunedin and for the church. And last, last message earlier today was more about that, so you might want to listen to that. But I, I need to add this part too, is that in God, the new doesn't disregard the old, it fulfills the old. Amen? So, so it's not new in disregard for the old, but it's new in the context of what God does new fulfills the old. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, the old, I came to fulfill it. In other words, the new was the interpretation of the old just fulfilled. The reason I say that is during the break, Gareth and I had a conversation and I had looked at Dunedin before, like a brief history of the, the community and, and realizing that it's tied to colonists who came really in the spirit of religious freedom. They had broke away from the old and brought the new and actually named the city, named the colony, the establishment after Edinburgh because that's where they were from. And you think about it, it wasn't actually naming it just because of familiar but it was naming it through a vision. It was something they saw. They, un they understood great. 
And they carried greatness when they came and they said, we're going to take the best of that and implement it here. And they had a plan architecturally, theologically. They had a, they had a plan. They were carrying something in their heart. Now, with Jesus, remember when he said that to his disciples, said, you're privileged because you get to enter into the labor of those who've sown. You get to become the reapers. You get to be the harvesters. That, that the sacrifice of planting, now it's a season of reaping, and the sowers and the reapers enter into the same thing, and you get the opportunity to reap. So I really sense part of the new is to be able to fulfill what was in the hearts of those who envisioned through God's heart this region? I really do. So here's the kick in the butt. Figure that out and implement. Amen. Like we are, we are a fulfilling, whether this is the last generation, there's one after us, two or three, but somebody is gonna come into the fullness, somebody's gonna come into the fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures and the heart of God in many, many, many areas. And I really believe, like, th this is my third time here. First, once before in the church, and then earlier this week. And, and the, there is something rich here. There's absolutely something extremely rich. And the positioning of the church. And so the kick in the rear is to enter in to a harvest. Enter into the labor of even the forefathers. Enter into the dream of Jesus, but that he has been breathing through generations into this place. There's something to be harvested. Amen? And, and there, it takes, takes a spiritual pursuit. Remember, he, he, said in, he said anyone that is instructed in the kingdom of heaven is likened unto the word of the old New King James, King James's household. I don't know what it says in more modern translations, but he said, anyone instructed in the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a householder who brings out of the treasure chest things both old and new, right? So, so it's connecting, the new is connecting to the old. The new is connecting to the original purpose. It's just bringing fulfillment. It's kind of like this is that. On the day of Pentecost, there was a suddenly, and Peter stood up into the anointing and said, this is that that was prophesied. So think about all up until that time, when they would read Joel chapter 2, somebody would say, well, this is what that means. And so they were always interpreting what that meant based on a current understanding of what Joel chapter 2 was about. Right up until that day, this was, it was all about that. And then there was a suddenly, and the Holy Spirit brought something new, and Peter was able to stand up and say, no, this is really that. This is, this is a new lens to what God was saying and a new lens to what God is doing. I believe the new that we're coming into is in that framework. It's the new to help fulfill the old, but also to bring people to a new place. Amen. And I know for some people, you're going, what is that guy talking about? Well, it's a spiritual language, but it's intended for us. Amen. So I know, and that's part of what I want to share with you this morning. This challenge of moving with the ways of God. The challenge of shifting into a season, being led by the Spirit of God. But I just want to say that I really feel like, yeah, that's why you guys are here. You, because you can embrace and you carry with you, you carry great in your heart. And you're willing to be great so that great can happen. And that, that's, not, 
That's not for anybody. That's not just for everybody. There is that, that sensing. And, and I said this in the first service because actually I was part of their real early journey. When, when Bruce was planting a church in London, and I think it was the first anniversary of Equippers or then the second and the third anniversary of Equippers, I happened to be passing through at the same time. And he said, hey, why don't you come to the celebration tonight at the London School of Economics? And I remember prophesying one of the two times over them and calling them out, not knowing what they were up to, who they were, what they were doing, but just seeing a calling over their life. And apparently one year later in the exact, it was the next anniversary, the same thing happened, but I didn't remember. So it was two years in a row, just identified a call, identified a greatness on them. And then seeing them be sent to Mastodon without any prior experience and, and preaching his first message responsible for a church on a Sunday. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> Believe me. But that was because there was a recognition that they carried something. And just like the colonists, they came. They already had, they had something great on the inside because they'd seen something great. And the ability to reproduce that because you carry great, because you've seen great. You're great followers of, of good pattern. And, then, and you're implementers of good pattern. And then and that's how it always starts is that you begin to build based on a familiarity. Architects always mentor first and they always reproduce what they're, they've been mentored into. And then, then what happens is their own ingenuity and their own creativity takes hold of those skills that have been built into them. And then they begin to design and develop. And I believe that's the progression. But I also feel like you're going to, Willie, you're going to build rooms that, that decorators will decorate. Like your responsibility for framing things. Framing things that people can come in from behind and then they can add the detail and add the, the decorations, that apostolic prophetic grace, prophetic gift. So, so this season for you, you guys have been just like settling in. There's still a little time in that, just settling in, but you're going to see that there's an explosive apostolic prophetic grace to actually frame, build, to connect the old and new and bring new in a genuine way, in a powerful way. And you'll need help with that. You'll need scribes. You'll need people who can actually articulate that. Because, you know, that's what I was talking to Gareth at the break, is that one thing about this generation, and this movement is a, um, it's a practitioner movement. It's, hey, you know, take the theory, but make it real. Touch lives, touch hearts, see people saved, see people healed, see needs met. It's a, it's a practitioner movement. And that's really important, except the current generation also needs a strong sense of foundation in orthodox theology. It needs a strong foundation and an understanding of from whence we came. It's really important. I, I feel like God connects the dots for us. And shows us that we are, we are a fulfillment of somebody else's sacrifice. You know, in heaven, there's martyrs underneath the throne that are praying. Saying, how long, oh God, will you avenge our blood? It's like, hey, we spilled our blood for that thing called the church. We spilled our blood for those who've been, you know, we passed the, bat the baton to. You guys pronounce that different. But there's a passing of the baton. There's a, there's a moving forward. And our what we're actually doing is fulfilling things that happen behind us. We're building on other sacrifices. We're called generationally to fulfill and to complete. And, and when you enter into that, it kind of, it brings an enlargement. It brings a... A sense of responsibility it causes you to number your days and say, I'm not going to waste time. Amen. Like something amazing has been entrusted to me. Something glorious, something huge has been entrusted to us. 
You let those things come in your heart, that's super powerful. Amen. That's just the introduction. Let's look. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 3. Sort of, it sort of has something to do with this, but amen. We'll make it, we'll make it connect through God. Amen. John chapter 3. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I have no idea when we started. You're going to just flag me. Okay. John chapter 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus had said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? That was amazing interchange right there. <clears throat> we know in the story Jesus had, you know, he was called rabbi. He was called teacher. This guy acknowledges him as a teacher. But then he, he acknowledged, he said, nobody can do the things that you do and can't somehow be connected to God. But it's, I'm paraphrasing. He said, but it's kind of outside my sphere of understanding. Like, what's going on with you? And rather than addressing the question directly and, and beginning to answer the specific questions, Jesus said to him, well, here's the issue. You have to be born again. Because, well, what does that mean? Well, you're naturally birthed, but there's a spiritual birth. And in the spiritual birth, the eyes of your understanding are enlightened. And now you can understand the kingdom. And then he uses that, this phrase. He said, just like the wind that blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said, you know, how can these things be? And so he, he's trying to process what Jesus said. And for all of us, it's like, um, you know, I guess by illustration, it was January 2015. And we had gone through some things in the church. People had taken some hits. And there had been an untimely death of a young person. And so we were, um, you know, the idea of just wanting to, to increase hope and, and build hope. And I felt like, a message that became a theme for the first part of 2015 is it was called a train called hope and back in christian heritage even there's you know this train is bound for glory and there there's different thoughts and pictures about a train and a train is a cool thing like and if you've ridden european trains and fast trains i mean their trains are are really awesome the good thing about a train is it follows a track the good thing about a train is the stops are very predictable. You know, when you, when you ride underground trains or the subway systems anywhere in the world, you can, you can look up at the map and you can see the next stop. Sometimes there'll be electronic signs. Sometimes there's a voice that comes over. Next stop will be Surbiton. Next stop will be London. Next, next. So, so there's, there's, it's very predictable. 
And, and people who ride the trains often, they can actually just get into this thing where they know I can get on, put my headphones on, and I can doze off because it'll be 18 minutes before I've got to get up and exit. And so trains are very predictable. They follow a track. And I like that because in that, you know, to lead a church that way, to say, hey, we're on this train and God's got stops for us. And, and you know, it's kind of like you just sit and the train does the work and the train gets you to where you're going. And it was a great illustration, but it really isn't realistic. Because <laughs> Jesus just told Nicodemus, this is how it is when you're born again. It's kind of like the wind. You hear the sound and you, receive, you see the results, but it doesn't just satisfy your linear thinking. Matter of fact, if you get too linear and you get too let's just say carnal in, in not, the, not a sensual sense, but just through that mindset, you actually miss the kingdom because it's really not a train ride. It's more of a sailboat ride. Amen. It's, it's really not following a track that's super definable. It's actually following the wind that can come from an unseen place. And, and you see the result of it, but all of a sudden you catch and you feel the result of it. All of a sudden there's a shift. Sometimes there's a surge. Other times there's a lull. And, and for us, you know, we, we wrestle. I, I'm thinking about the, the whole idea. I look at the scripture, the idea of the path of life. Like Psalm 16, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Like, I like that idea. There's, it's a path. It's well-defined. It's like got markers. And, and it, it looks like something that's interpretable. 2 Timothy, Paul said this about himself. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. Yeah, I like that. The idea that something definable, you know, there's markers, proverbs. The path of the just is a shining light, and it shines more and more till the perfect day. I like to be able to think that my path becomes clearer, and it's easier to follow and easier to walk on. But I've found the opposite to be true. I found myself at my age, 60, now in a whole other place following a really undefined path. Like really feeling like instead of something's clear in front of my feet, I'm really trusting the wind. But understanding that that is in the purposes of God. That the wind is blowing and it is taking us. We are on a vehicle. It may not be a train, but we are on a ship. And it has a destination. The difference is my head doesn't know how to get there, but the Spirit of God knows how to get us there. Amen? And so the idea of being able to trust that is really interesting. If you think about Nicodemus, he would have been somebody who would have memorized not just the first five books of the Bible, but he would have memorized from Genesis to Malachi. It would have been required for him at that level of of being a teacher or a rabbi, a recognized leader. He would have had it memorized. So he would have understood this in Isaiah chapter 28. When it, Isaiah goes this way, he said, Who will he teach knowledge and whom will he make to understand the message? Then he goes on with questions. Those just weaned from the milk? In other words, would it be babes that will understand the message? Those just drawn from the breasts? 
and, and in that passage, he was talking prophetically how God wanted to speak. And it said the prophets and the priests, they were all messed up. They were drunk and their tables are full of vomit. He goes through all these, these pictures and just saying all these things that have disqualified people from hearing God's message. But that God had a message he wanted to bring through. Then he asked the question, who's going to get this? Will it be like newborn babes? And then he says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here little, there a little. So we get that. We go, oh yeah, cool, cool, that's right. That's how, that's how revelation comes, that's how knowledge is built. When you start in preschool or you know, early grades, you learn the alphabet. So words become a combination of letters once you've learned the alphabet and then words are combined to create sentences and sentences paragraphs and paragraphs are essays or paragraphs become books. So the progression, line upon line, precept upon, yeah, we could get that. Mathematics, first we learn our numbers. Then we learn addition. Then we learn subtraction. Then we learn multiplication. Then we learn division. Then we learn algebra. Then we learn trigonometry. Then we learn calculus. It's, it's sort of line upon line, precept upon precept. You go, yeah, yeah. So those, when he asks the question, who shall he make understand the message? Yeah, yeah. The logical progression of things. That would have been Nicodemus, that building blocks of theology. But then he interjects this thing. Verse 11, with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. So just like Joel, up until the time of the suddenly on the day of Pentecost, they would have said, this is that. And somebody reading Isaiah would have said, this is that. But what's the stammering lips, another tongue? What's this about rest? He caused the weary to rest. This is the refreshing. They would have had to just guess about that. Because Paul later said, and he, and he refers back to Isaiah 28, when he's talking about praying in the Spirit. When he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. When he, when he talks about bringing things out of the Spirit and then interpreting them into the understanding. He talks about tongues and prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. These revelatory things that come out of the Holy Spirit that you then interpret and you use to build up the church. And he said, this is that. But they wouldn't have known that back then. But then to, to somebody like Nicodemus, who's got that linear thing worked out and said, yeah, line upon line, precept upon precept. But this stammering lips, another tongue, there is a rest and a refreshing. And this is what he goes on to say in Isaiah. But, the, but they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. So he just repeated. He said, who will we make to understand the message? There's the way to think is like this. But there is another perspective that comes with stammering lips and another tongue. Yet because they wouldn't hear, it just stayed that way. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. And if it just ended there, it would be okay. If it just ended there, we could say, well, we get that. Like religion has a lot of things to say and, and there's a lot of good things in just religion. And we study Christianity and we study, you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we, we have our approach to theology. That would be okay if we just left it there. Some people, it's just line upon line. But then he said, but this is what's connected with that. 
that they might go and fall backwards, be broken and snared and caught. So it's not a good ending. (laughs) If there isn't a shift where our mind just says line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there a little. If, If we just stayed that way in our approach to God, If we just said, I want my understanding and how you feed me, God, and how you lead me, God, and how you direct me, God, I want it to look linear. I'd like it to be a train ride. But he said, no, it's a sailboat ride. And there's an element of the wind of my spirit that has to give direction, that has to guide and has to move. And and this spiritual expression that breaks in on your life, that, that actually, if you come to understand it, it is actually is the rest. It is the refreshing. Paul talks about when I pray in, my, in the Spirit, it's, not my, my, it's my Spirit that prays, but my understanding becomes unfruitful. When, when he said, sing in the Spirit, and, and he talks us to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Jude chapter 3, that God actually provided a bypass from all of the tension that comes of trying to figure it out through a life in the Spirit. And it's something that gets moved by the Spirit of God. And it does appeal to our head. It's not that you cut your head off. But it's about let your, your head needs to be inspired by the wind. Amen? Your, your head needs to be moved on by the Spirit of God to actually get to where God has for us. And Paul talks about in Corinthians, like this is his ride. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with cords or rods. Once I was stoned. In my BC days, I was stoned many more times than that. But three times in a different context. That was a bad joke. Three times I was shipwrecked a day and a night. I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. So numerous times he talks about he's been, for a day in the night, he was floating in the ocean. He'd been shipwrecked three times, and he experienced perils in the sea. In weariness and toil and sleeplessness and often, in hunger and thirst and fastings and cold and nakedness. So all of that stuff that he dealt with continually because of his ministry and his calling. And then he adds this. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. That's amazing. But, but he understood and, and he actually showed us in that passage that he had been on ships. He had, he had been, uh, you know, to fulfill the call of God, to, to take his apostolic journeys, he had had to step onto ships, and three times they had wrecked. And one time it left him in the sea a day and a night, if you can imagine. It might have been this time in the book of Acts where it mentioned the time he was on the ship, and there was a shipwreck, and, and he actually, the way they got ashore is when the ship began to break apart. Because they, they, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord he had for them, they had to cut the, the, the lifeboat loose and let it go adrift. And the only way that no life would be lost is that they had to wait till the ship broke apart and those who couldn't swim had to float on chunks of the broken vessel to get to the beach. That's amazing. So he talks about being on a ship in Acts chapter 27. And, and he, he said this, And when we had sailed slowly many days... 
and arrive with difficulty. The wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of Salmon. Passing with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Haven near the city of Lycia. And there's just, there's just three parts to this journey, one of which is described there. And it describes us. That there's sometimes when the wind isn't blowing. Sometimes it becomes really difficult to move forward. And, and it, in this case, it wasn't a storm that caused them to stop at a place called Safe Haven. It was the fact that the journey had been so slow and the journey had been so boring. When they got to this place called Safe Haven, they got off. And apparently from the story, they got very comfortable because they stayed there too long. In the next verse, it said, Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast or the day of atonement was already over, Paul advised them. So when the wind, when the wind isn't blowing and you're just kind of trotting along and it takes too long to get where you think you're going, when you find a place that you can get off that feels like safe haven, we get off. But sometimes we stay too long. And that, in that case, they, they knew they were supposed to go forward. But, but because of the journey, they came to this place. And now they had stayed so long that to get back on it became dangerous. And Paul advised them, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Sometimes the journey, people begin to speak into it. And the Spirit of God saying one thing, but the pressure of circumstances begins to grow louder. And the helmsman is relying on his own ability. Hey, listen, yeah, I've sailed at this time of year. I know the winds come up. I know that the storm's strong, but I'm really inexperienced. I'm an awesome helmsman. No worries. The ship owners listening and say, I make money because my cargo gets delivered to places. If the helmsman says it's good and, and you say it, we're going. And Paul's standing up and saying, well, I'm just telling you by the Spirit of God. And they're saying that we're unfamiliar with the term, the Spirit of God. We haven't ever lived by a prophet telling us anything by the Spirit of God. We disregard your advice and we're going. And they all get on the ship. Well, needless to say, how many know the story? Amen. It said their timing was this. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not, but not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, they let her drive. Now it's interesting that that wind actually had a name. And the, the commentary in that, it, it said that it was... There was a, a more modern term that they were used, a levanter. It's, it was a type of wind that when it blows, it doesn't blow from a direction. It blows from all directions. It'll come from this way and it'll come that way and it'll come this way. And so what they had to do, the only way to deal with that is to take your hands off it and let the ship go. And actually to pull the sail down. Because the quick shifting of the wind could tear apart the rigging and cause the ship to sink. So that now all of a sudden, it was, it was too late to actually follow the course that would have been safe for them because they got off because of the boredom. We'll just go to safe haven. We'll just kind of hang out. Yeah, but we have to finish our journey. Oh, yeah, okay, so let's keep going. But now it's not the right timing. Oh, it will be the right timing. My head's telling me in the hell. So let's just jump on the ship. 
And they get to a place, this kind of wind is coming from all these different directions. It becomes very dangerous. The, re- the commentary says the reason why it's named that is named that after a spirit. That, that, and it was common back in those days that when these strange winds would come up, they believed it was a literal force from heaven and they would carry with them animals to sacrifice to the gods to avoid those kinds of winds. So it had this kind of ominous, demonic name that they would say, okay, you know, offer a calf or, or whatever was aboard. There were swine, different things they could offer to try to appease the spirit behind the winds so that they would be able to finish their journey. That's really interesting. It talks about, you know, this course. It talks about the idea that Jesus to Nicodemus, that our lives are to be governed by the Spirit of God. And sometimes, oftentimes, you're moving in a direction and you just see the results. Like I I move... You know, when we're in Holy Spirit kind of meetings, you try to follow what you're feeling. You try to follow the direction of the wind, the blowing of the wind. You try to, Paul says that he who supplies the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Well, it's the hearing of faith. It's kind of tuning in to the wind. What's, what's the Spirit saying? Lots of times it's just, just an impression. Lots of times it's just like a whisper. Sometimes it's loud, but lots of times it's just, it's a sensitivity to where he's going, where he's taking us. And, and I felt this, this was an added scripture during worship that in Jude chapter one, it talks about a certain kind of person. And he said, these are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they're clouds without water, they're carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. And that, I got to just say, that came, that, that wasn't in anything I prepped, that just came. And I remember that there was a phrase that says, these are spots in your love feast. I remember from prior studies that when you actually look at that in the concordance, it says, those are rocks like a hidden reef. And it talks about there, there are people that become like hidden reefs in your journey. And, and the way the Spirit of God quickened it to me was this, this was the interpretation. And I, I'm saying this, I'm directing this. This is kind of like we're moving along with the rest of the message. Now, this is just a little part taken out. And it's intended for just a few people. Particularly, I felt young ladies. That there are people who, they're men, (laughs) just make it clear. They're men who call themselves believers and they look like the right part, but they're actually a hidden rock that's going to affect your destiny and your journey. They're going to wind up tearing a hole and you'll take on water. And unless you get rescued, It's not going to finish well. And one of the ways, I I just feel like this, you know, I'm grasping right now in one sense, but this is what I heard the Spirit of God say. You got to look carefully at the fruit because it could look like a cloud, but if it doesn't have water, it's not a good cloud. 
It can look like an autumn tree that's supposed to bring you forth fruit, and it can look like a great tree, but there isn't fruit. And Jesus said that judge a tree by its fruit. Make sure there's fruit on that tree. Make sure it's a cloud that really has water that can actually water you in the washing of the water by the word. Don't just go by outward appearance. Just don't go by that's a good looking tree. Dude, that guy's handsome. That I'm after that. It was like, and I don't know if there's because there's relationships that are developing, but this is specific towards a couple circumstances. But I felt like use the scripture and put it out there as general principle as well. Is it be Beware of those who are hidden reefs in your journey. Doesn't mean to be skeptical, but it means to be prayerful. It means to be, it means to understand. It means to measure something by the fruit. And I'm not just hearing your words. I'm not, I'm not willing to just be flattered into a relationship. I'm not willing to be flattered into a, a journey alongside somebody that isn't actually going to have fruit on their tree. That isn't actually going to be a cloud that can actually produce rain. Because, woman of God, you're called to be with somebody that can wash you with the water of the word. That can, that can, that can take care of you in spiritual things. And so that might help somebody in a decision. Now, I want to say at the same time, if you're married and you're married to an unbeliever, or if you're a part in a partnership and that person isn't a believer, I'm not speaking to you. I'm talking to younger who are initiating things. Like, you're in a different circumstance. You don't leave somebody because they're not spiritual enough. That your role, be when, you, when you've made the commitment and you're on that license or you've committed, then commit. Amen? Then, then prayer, and then prayer, encouragement. Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes it takes quite a journey. And sometimes you feel like you're journeying alone until eventually they catch up, but they'll catch up. You're in a different place. This word is for somebody who's walking alongside or considering, but you're in a relationship that's actually a hidden reef. I know that's a hard word, but, amen, it's going to save you years on your life. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus was with a group, and they were in a big storm. And see, backing up, when we were talking about that one in Paul, when that, that ship got to a place, it got to a place where it was being driven. In Jesus' discourse with, discourse with Nicodemus, he was talking about a wind that leads. He's talking about a wind that propels. But God never drives people. Amen. If, if something's driving you, if you're feeling driven, then that's a wind of a different nature. When there's a driving wind, Jesus rebukes those. Amen. When, when it's a driving wind that brings a threat or driving wind that just feels like there's, there's always this impending sense of danger, that's when he wakes up and he speaks to it and he said, peace be still. The nature of the Lord, he is a shepherd. He said he makes us lie down in green pastures. He lies, lies us, causes us to lie beside still waters. So in this journey of being with him, the wind blows, and it is a guiding, the guiding of the Holy Spirit. It is a wind that blows. It's a, it's a leading of a spirit. But he leads us. He doesn't drive us. And that's important also to know that in the things of God that we have to be willing.